Some of the things the Lord is stirring on this weekend with Zion, I'm going to pick up again when I get home because the Lord has really been working on me as this word has been prepared. And it turns out, Pastor Justin, what the Lord showed you in the beginning of the year, there's a, a, an abiding presence of God on the topic that I was not aware of. Uh, and it's the topic of the favor of the Lord. Um, and I'm so grateful I got to plug into that prophetic vein because what the Lord has been doing in between meetings with me has shown me that this is what he wants me to bring even to my people that I speak to every week um, in Connecticut. And the reason why is that favor must be proclaimed. Okay? Favor has got to be declared. And once declared, everybody at the sound of a hearing of a conversation on this incredible thing has an opportunity to tap in. And the opportunity is only provided by how much you lean into it and how much you access it by faith. And we're going to be looking through scripture right now is that there's something that is a general favor that has been placed upon the people of God. It is so incredible. It is so complete. It is so powerful that you would wonder why a good portion of the church does not walk in it. But there's a principle in scripture I pray that we may grasp tonight. Because I believe that for those that lean into it, the results, the results will show for themselves. Amen. The results are absolutely inevitable. I want to begin by, um, I'm going to go to a weird scripture to start. It's 2 Kings chapter 7. Now, 2 Kings chapter 7 is, is, is stories concerning the ministry of Elisha. And um, hallelujah. And the part that I want to deal with, we're going to go. I'll give you this, the simple little backstory. It actually starts in 2 Kings chapter 6 from verse 24, a familiar portion of scripture, but I just want to tell you the story so that we get straight to the point I'm hoping to make. Uh, Syria had besieged Samaria. Syria was part of a northern kingdom that had taken over the kingdom of Israel's capital was Samaria. And they had laid pretty much part of what Putin is trying to do in Ukraine right now is that you cut off the supplies in and out of a city so that eventually you either starve the people to death or sometimes sickness and disease may take over and wipe them out if they do not concede to you. That's called, that it, what used to happen back in the day, most cities had walls and whenever a king would attack, the, the people would hide behind the walls and the walls were formidable. So there were many, many, you know, um, Jericho, you know how, how Jericho was fortified. So sometimes the only way to take a fortified city is to surround it in, in a siege. And when you, when you put a siege on it, you just cut off supplies in and out. So eventually their food will run out. Some sieges used to last for years. If 
you look at the story that takes place between even uh, the, 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 the Medes and, 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 and um, uh, the Persians back in the day, the, the, that was a military strategy, is to cut off and to cause hunger. So anyway, Samaria here has been besieged because the Syrians have cut off all supplies and things got so desperate in Samaria. I mean, the hunger was so severe that parents began to negotiate, women, mothers, and it's important to say mothers, because a mother carries a child. No, you know, fathers can defend their children, but you can't defend your children like Mama Bear. Mama Bear carried this one. Mothers began to negotiate about killing and eating their own children. And two women would negotiate, hey, if I kill and eat my child today, can we eat your child tomorrow? That's how desperate the situation had become. It was so desperate that even doves droppings, people were buying them for the little bit of nutrition that is in bird poop. They were selling the heads of a donkey, probably rotting out. Now all of this is happening and then now here comes, here's how the Lord breaks the famine. The Lord breaks the famine by sending a man of God to make an announcement. It's really that simple. Every single time that the Lord wanted to bring a miracle because somebody needed a miracle, what the Lord did that he sent a messenger that proclaimed that. That's why every miracle that was ever performed in scripture came from a set of instructions given. We, can you turn water into wine? Yeah, fill those water pots with water. Ah, we don't want to do that. If you don't lean into the word you just received, you don't access the miracle you're looking for. In fact, most of the time what you, when you're looking for a miracle, what you're really looking for is a word from God. Because that's how the Lord does. Get up, pick up your bed and walk. What is that? Words. But that announcement carries with it the ability to break your barrenness if you will lean in to it in faith. So now here's what happens. In this particular instance, if I can find it real quick. Elisha had been missing in action. The king of Israel had been looking for Elisha. He had not known where he was. And, but here's what happens. Finally, the Lord released Elisha to go and speak to the king. And now, this is in second, uh, we are in second Kings chapter 7, which I wanted to go to. And then Elisha, in verse 1, said, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow at the gate of Samaria, a seer of fine flour will sell for a shekel, and two seers of barley will, will sell for a shekel. Now he's saying something that is absolutely ridiculous. He's saying there's going to be such a level of supply by this time tomorrow that the wheat and barley will go for cheap. Now, you must understand these people were negotiating eating their own kids. That's how hungry they were. There was no food. Now, here's something that, that was then declared. It says this. Now, notice how the Lord broke the famine. How does he break the famine? By killing the enemy? No, that's not how he does. He does it by first sending a word. He sends the proclamation. That's why what? The year of Jubilee had to be proclaimed. It had to be the blowing of a trumpet to announce the year of God's favor. And it, with what you started this in the beginning of this year was a declaration. My brother, they cannot walk in it unless they lean into it. If you just see it as a word from a man who is a pastor, and you know, we'll get to other teaching next week, you will miss out on what God is doing prophetically in your time. I have discovered that the way to get healing to flow is to preach on healing. Declare it. I know for a fact 
that the way for deliverance to flow is to declare deliverance. The moment you begin that conversation, there's an anointing that is resident on that declaration. But it's then for those that lean on that. Now watch this. When Elijah had made this pronouncement, here's what the Bible says. It says, by the officer whose arm the king leaned on, answered the man of God, look, even if the Lord were to make the windows in heaven, could this really happen? Now, what he was doing was questioning the logistics because they did not make sense. He said, listen, I know you're saying these great things about the fact that there will be barley and wheat here today. But even if the Lord was to open the windows of heaven, could this thing be done? And that's when Elisha had to tell him what? It has been announced in your hearing. You have not believed, therefore you will not partake of it. And he says to this man, one of the most austere announcements in scripture. You're going to see it with your eyes, but you will not partake of it. That sounds a little tough. I would have been Elisha, can you be a little nicer? But it was after an announcement had been made that the hunger, the cycle of misery and poverty, of sickness, of disease, the cycle where everything you try to touch just crumbles and falls, the cycle where the enemy is encircled around you and has cut off your supply, it was announced that that cycle is going to be over by this time tomorrow. And all that heaven was requiring from the hearer was to lean into it by faith and when one man spoke in a way that was maybe mocking you know it appears that the tone may have been mocking that's why the reprisal was so great you know he may have said even if the lord was to open the windows would this happen and right there the man of god checked him and says because you've said that those words right there you will see it with your eyes but you will not partake of it Do you know how many times i've seen whew, oh god help me we're sitting in church, all of us together. The word of God is being announced and your faith reaches out and grabs it and it changes your life. And right next to you is somebody else hearing the same word. They don't lean into it and the word does absolutely nothing for them. Same word, same vessel that delivered it. Same inflection in his tone, everything. But the key to access is faith. Are we okay? Yes. Don't let people ever talk you out of the blessing of God by giving you what theology that makes it seem like, well, if God is going to give you, you're going to get it anyway. As if faith is not an X factor. Faith is important. You don't believe it, you don't get it. When did Jesus die on the foundation of the world? When did we accept and receive salvation? The day we heard the announcement of what he had done. But did others hear us also? Yes, they did. Well, why aren't they saved? They did not lean into it with what Paul called in Galatians, the hearing of faith. Sometimes we're too smart for our own good. We hear a declaration of the Lord and we, oh, I, don't, I, I don't really understand. I don't really believe those, that exegesis. Or oh, you don't believe the exegesis. Oh, I don't really believe that that's what scripture is supposed to say. I've heard people say that concerning healing, concerning deliverance. They doubt it. They come very philosophical, very, 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 very deep. But in their depth, they have nothing. And then I've seen very simple people with the type of faith that heaven esteems, which is what? Childlike faith. That is here and lean in and believe. And miracles is accessed. Same sitting in the same church, hearing the same word. 
I have not come to announce to you, neither is Pastor Justin. We have not come to announce to you what is not already yours. We're just letting you know it's yours. If you ain't walking it, you got to check yourself. That have I believed, here's how Isaiah 53 begins. Who has believed our report? Then Isaiah 53 verse 1 and 2, he says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Let me tell you what the prophet meant. He says, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's a rhetoric question. What he means is that the one who has believed our report is the one to whom the arm of the Lord is revealed. It's not enough to hear. You have to believe. Now, when we talk about favor, I have to look and go back all the way because today I want to deal, Pastor Justin, God will let me. I want to deal with the general favor that is amongst the children of God. Because I wanted to deal with specific last night, how to access specifics. There are levels and layers to favor. Let me explain what. To be a child in the nation of Israel meant you were favored by God. So if you're just a member of the nation of Israel, you are favored by God. When the Lord was feeding people with manna, he didn't select who's going to get manna. There was a general blessing given on all that were the children of Israel. But within that nation, there were others that delved into deeper levels of favor. And they were separated unto God to great works. And greater expressions of God's power was seen on them. If they were in a favored nation, general you know, uh, general favor. But within there, we begin to see the specific favor given to the house of David. And that favor was not free. It cost David what? He believed God. He leaned into God. You know, and in his leaning into God, he secured a pipeline of favor for his family that was different to anything else that was in the rest of Israel. There are layers to this game. But I cannot deal with specifics if I have not dealt with the general. Because the general is powerful enough by itself. The general is the favor you get just by belonging to the Lord. Now, when you go to the book of Isaiah, I want to begin then. I'm sure Pastor Justin has covered this. So this is, just consider this repetition. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 61, the, 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 the man of God looked through a prophetic telescope. And he began to make a very powerful declaration. And, and, and here's what Isaiah said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, because that's what this announcement will do. It will comfort those who mourn. What? To come and to appoint to them that mourn in Zion and to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Reading right along. And they, that they might be called the trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now the prophet was making an announcement in his generation that was not going to take root for hundreds of years after. It was an announcement of a general declaration of freedom to captives. It was an announcement of the mending of them that were crushed, the stitching them back together. It was an announcement, dear Lord, watch this, let's read it again. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to what? To preach glad tidings to the poor. Who are the poor? And what is glad tidings to the poor? Glad tidings to the poor is that your condition is not permanent. 
already has been released. A message has come to your hearing that God has chosen to favor you. So the cycle of negativity that you've been around has now got a timestamp and, 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 and an expiring date. There is a time that is coming now. Notice this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has not anointed me to make the poor rich. He has anointed me to bring good tidings, meaning to declare good things to them. Then what they do with that information is entirely up to them. My friends and neighbors, all of us that are here are all immigrants. This is an immigrant church. You all are from India. I'm from Africa. You know where we came from. You know what our forefathers had. You know where they started. Look at what God has accomplished in our lifetimes. For some of you, where you live now, my goodness, your, your great, great, great upper channel could never even have conceived that you would be, you find favor in a strange land. What happened? You entered into a system of belief that had an announcement of favor. That favor was not necessarily geographic specific. Wherever you find yourself, that favor would stick and then you would blossom. Are we okay? Reading right along. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. When we're talking about this, now Israel understood what this process was. And then he says, to, to, to proclaim what he called the acceptable year of the Lord. And you all know that in the Hebraic calendar, was like this. After every seven years, there was what was called a Sabbath year. The seventh year was a Sabbath year. What was a Sabbath year? It was a year where you were not allowed to work the ground. This was a year where the Lord will show you your work alone is not enough. Your sweat alone is not enough. You need me to help you. So the year was a test of faith. It was a test which is also the principle of the Sabbath. What is the principle of the Sabbath? That you can work six days and rest one and still have more than if you work seven. It's the same principle, believe it or not, within the tithe. That you can give 10% away and the 90% will take you further than the 100% could. What is that? It's a principle where you have to trust and let go so the supply can come from God. So they would have a Sabbath year. And after seven Sabbaths, the year following seven Sabbaths was called the year of the Lord's favor. This was the year of what is called Jubilee. And Jubilee had to be announced by the blowing of a trumpet. Because what it declared amongst other things was this. The only way to get into slavery within, as a, um, a child of the nation of Israel at that time. Or even before Israel was Israel. But as a, as a Hebrew was Either you were a foreigner because you were not allowed, they were not allowed to make slaves of their own people. Or if you're a Hebrew that was a slave, it's because you owed somebody and could not pay. So the debt you owed enslaved you. It's the same today. Some of us are slaves to American Express and Visa and all this. You work hard, you get your paycheck, and you hardly, it hardly gets home. It ends up at Visa, American Express. So the system that I want you to understand is this, that what, what caused you to be enslaved in old Israel was that you owed a debt that you could not pay. So then you were tethered to a system that made you servile, into servitude until the debt was paid. But here's what was so incredible about that is that, or sometimes maybe even, you know, you, you might give your inheritance, your, the land your father left you. You are, so, you are in such poverty, you go and you say, hey, can, can you take my land and give me some money? 
And so there's an exchange of value. Money is given for what was your inheritance. All these things, when the year of 50, the year of Jubilee came, there had to be a returning of the things that were taken because of debt. So not only were debts paid off, the captive that had been bound because of the debt could now be set free. Now, all of this was in, nat- in a natural sense, but it was prophetic of what the Lord was announcing that could only be accomplished in Christ, which was what? Which was there was a season. It's not one year. It's, a, it's an epoch of Jubilee that was announced by Isaiah Several hundreds of years later, the Lord Jesus Christ picked up the baton to let you know that what Isaiah said starts with me. Because when Jesus, before preaching many sermons, before, you know, healing the sick, he went into the temple and he picked up the scroll in the book of Luke chapter 4. If you can turn to Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Are we doing okay? All right. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. I don't know if I gave you that verse, my bro. If not... I have it in there somewhere. Now, here's what it says. Now, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He picked up the scroll, went to the writing of Isaiah, and he began to speak. And here's what he announced. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. They probably think, oh, it's just another Bible study. You know, he's reading from Isaiah. One of the most perfectly preserved books in all the written script of scripture is the book of Isaiah. Every other book we've had to... to put fragments like a jigsaw puzzle. From the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found a perfect rendering of the book of Isaiah. That, there's a reason why this book was preserved. Now watch this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. Anointed me. It means he has separated me and empowered me to proclaim what he called good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom of the captives or the prisoners and the recovery of sight of the blind and to set the oppressed free. And then what? Reading, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The word that was used there is the year of the Lord's acceptance. It's when you are accepted by a person that is of a high dignitary. So they invite you to their level of experience. So if I was maybe a king here, and and Pastor Justin, you walked in, and I said, come on over here. I accept you to sit at my level. What would have happened in that instance is that I would have granted you what the Bible calls favor. Meaning you did not have to be born again in another bloodline. Meaning you did not have to come up and earn your way. But just the favor, the leaning favorably toward you helped you to matriculate to a higher level with no sweat on your part. So now the Lord Jesus Christ said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Which is what? The year of the favor has just begun. So it began in the beginning of his ministry, culminated at Calvary, and culminated when he got up from the grave, which was what? The general announcement of a people that the only way you can get to access this complete and incredible favor. What is within the favor of the Lord? It means that everything that exists in his treasury is made available to you. Well, how do I know what is in the Lord's treasury? It was revealed through Christ. Healing is there. The breaking of the spirit of lack is there. The, the, the belonging of the outcast is there. 
Lepers who were not allowed to be near any people that were clean. The Lord Jesus Christ touched them. What is that? You have been granted favor and access because the anointing that he was speaking about was favor. Now here's what I'm saying. I can preach this until I'm blue in the face. And some people will hear this and then they will leave this church and live their life like a bunch of beggars that act as if they've got to cry a bunch of tears in order for God to give them something nice. Who has believed our report? That's the question. Because I, anything I am doing here is useless to you if it does not provoke your faith to lean in. You are more blessed than you will ever realize. In fact, the day you wake up to how blessed you are is the day the devil fears. So the reason why he attacks you, how does he attack you? Maybe people talk bad about you. Maybe you experience what you call failure. You tried something and didn't work out. So after that, you don't want to try again. And then you begin to think, maybe it's for others, but it's not for me. The day you wake up to the fact that I live under a canopy of favor, you get to access by faith what was fully purchased and paid for and what was announced not by preachers, not by prophets, but by the mouth of Christ himself, that you are in the year or the season that he calls the year of the favor or the acceptance or the invitation to proximity of the Lord. What happens when you are aware of favor? Paul and Silas in the prison. Beat them up, put them in stocks. What are stocks? These wooden contraptions that keep you attached. What does Paul say to Silas? Son, let's sing. Why? Let's step into our favor. We don't have to fight these guys. We don't have to lift up a sword in the swing and be insulting to them and tell them, well, you see, when, yeah, when Jesus comes, you're going to burn. We don't have to do any of that. Let's just love on our God. Let's step into the finished work. They're just having church. And what happens? The covenant they are under demands intervention. Why? Because they were living in favor. How many prisoners were there? I don't know. But I know there were only two that were rescued. And why were there only two that were rescued? They were under a canopy or a covenant of favor. They just had to extend their faith to tap in to what was already theirs. And the prison shakes. And their bonds break. Have you noticed, how many of you, let me ask, how many of you once heard a particular uh, preaching done and it really gave you a breakthrough in your life? Anybody at all? That you heard a certain word that gave you a breakthrough. Do you know that that breakthrough was already yours? And what was announced to you was only announced to tell you what was yours and that your faith was provoked to lean into it. And that's how, it wasn't given to you that day, it was already yours. When you said yes to Jesus, do you know what you received? Do you know that in Jesus, the Lord did not give you one of heaven's finest. He gave you the best that heaven has to offer. That means the greatest treasure of heaven. You know, more precious than gold, silver, than gems, than diamond, than platinum, than uranium, than any element. The most expensive of expensive. That's what the Lord gifted you with. And he says, my favor is bestowed this to you. That's why the Bible says this. If he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also through him freely give us all things? You are speaking to people that are like, he gave you Jesus. You are doubting that he won't give you this? 
If he spared not his own son, but delivered him for, for you all, how shall he not also through him freely give? He gave you the best that there is. Why would he withhold from you the little things? It's a matter of faith. Now watch this. The prince of the power of the air or your enemy, all he has to do is to tamper with your trust or your belief in God. Because that's the only thing that can deny access to what is already yours. The Lord Jesus Christ went into his hometown and the power of God was present to heal. She must have been feeling charged up with the anointing to heal. But he could work no mighty works there because he was not powerful. No. The Bible says what? Because of their unbelief, they turned around and got familiar with the sacred and said, isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy? Didn't this boy grow up playing with our kids? And in their familiarity, they could not plug into the gift that God had sent them. You're already favored. I just don't know if you know that. Some of you, you know it just here. It has not yet visited the region of your heart where faith dwells. Here, cognitive, nah. Cognitive, you believe that the earth is round, but you've never been around to prove it. You just believe, ah. Cognitively, you can assent to information. Cognitively, it does not mean you believe. It just means you cognitively assent to information. True belief is exhibited. In that which your mind has leaned into, you are now walking out in real time. That's what proves what you truly believe. I have not come to announce to you a favor that is not already yours. I have not come to announce some strange, you know, a niceness of God that only began in the beginning of the year. No, it's been around. The man of God was moved to present to you access to what is already yours. Why are we announcing what appears to others to be obvious? Because some of the greatest, most loving people that I know have allowed the devil to take everything, the peace of their home, you know, break down their families, break down this and break down the business and just, oh, we're just going to wait until we get to heaven. And when we get to heaven, you are being robbed, man. Here on earth, what happens when your faith rises to say, I'm a child of God? It happened to me my first day in the United States. It was in July of 1995, June of 1995. I landed in JFK, at JFK. I was part of a, of a worship team. We had 14 people on my worship team, you know, um, a bunch of white folks and three, three black people. I was one of the three black people. So, you know, we, we led it, and I'm walking, I mean, literally with my worship team. I come through customs and immigration. I'm the only one singled out in my entire group. And I was asked, are you here for, for business or pleasure? So I said, oh, I'm, I'm here for a church conference with, uh, with my worship team. They said, I didn't ask you if you're with them. I said, are you here for business or pleasure? I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I, I'm here for a pastor's conference. I said, go this way. Well, going that way was about to complicate my life for the next four hours because they took me through the ringer. I was, when I say disrespect, you guys, I went into the inner part. There's a place in JFK <laughs> that you never want to go. It's right on the inside. You got to go through, through three security clearances to get there. And each clearance, they, they don't ask you, they interrogate you. What are you doing here? What's your purpose for being here? 
Do you have anything that is contraband that's in your, oh no, sir, I'm just here with my worship team. Okay, then you go to the next people, they ask you exactly the same questions and they check to see what is happening. So by the time the two and a half, three hours, I'm now, everybody else has gone out. My pastor and everybody, they've already gone in. Nobody, people wonder what's going on with me. I'm in there for hours, right? I'm a little confused. I was so, you see, just before I landed, I was in this zone where I was talking to God because I didn't know that that trip was the trip I was going to preach for the first time in my life. I was going to talk to a little youth group. I didn't know that. God had given me a little message that I tucked away in my Bible for three years. And that's where the Lord was going to begin to the call. I got the call to the ministry in that, in, on that particular trip. When I went back home, that's when I, when I was telling you the story about my youth group. The reason I went back to start that little youth group called the Anointed Generation was because I encountered God in St. Louis, Missouri. But anyway, as all of this is going on, they put me in what was called the Red Route. And in the Red Route, they were opening up luggage and not nicely. Okay, there were clothes everywhere, Bulgarians, Jamaicans, and yours truly, right? So I'm going through this thing, and then it occurred to me who I am. Out of the blue, I just said, wait a minute. In my heart, not loud within me, I'm a child of God. This land below, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I have access to any part of this globe because this belongs to my God. And I'm saying this on the inside, and I just stood up in who I am. As soon as I did that, I looked up and there was a man wearing a crisp white shirt, big old burly white dude, white hair, beard, and I thought I knew him from somewhere because we locked eyes and he smiled a little. And I, before God, I knew him. But it was my first day in a strange land. So he locked eyes and he walked straight to me. And I'm like almost greeting, almost, do I give him a hug? I'm wondering, because we used to have missionaries that would come to Zimbabwe. Was this one of the missionaries? But no, they met him for the first time. What had, what had happened? I plugged into my family. And so now this was family business. I was not a black man in a strange land. I was a son under my father's care. You know what this gentleman did to me? He just said, yeah, come over this way. He says, yeah. So even as he walked past me, I almost put my arm on his shoulder, just said, hey, what's up? Stranger to me, wearing security uniforms, crisp white shirt, um, black pants, um, gun on his holster. He then turns to the green route and says, go this way. So I left my luggage, walked toward, says, no, 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 take your luggage with you. Go this way. I went to the very same lady that had sent me into the, in, you know, into the Gestapo, into the gulag. Um, when I went to her to try and hand my passport, she was not making eye contact with me. She just wasn't making eye contact with me. And I looked back at this gentleman and says, just keep going. Sir, just keep going. So I thought, oh, maybe my pastor had talked to somebody, got on the other side, and I, I said, hey, pastor, thank you for, because almost four hours later, as soon as I got up, what were you doing? Where were you? I said, I don't know. They held me back. But if that guy that you sent had not come, they said, what guy? I said, I know a man that I saw, the guy that led me here, I know him from somewhere. I thought that you had called him. They thought I was crazy. And in, in a variety of different ways, that realization has happened in my life in ministry when I was stuck somewhere. And in the middle of being stuck, thank you, my brother. It's probably going to happen after we preach. You know, I sweat when I work. Um, but the time I, the moment I woke up to who I was, instantly, help came.
It's not that the devil is more powerful. That's why you're in trouble. It's that you don't know who you are. For most of us, we never even really rehearse who we are. So we are these king's children that are part of the most favored family to ever exist. And we live like beggars in the house of our father. And then we create all kinds of weird doctrines that make it okay to be that way. And nobody is telling us who we are or what is available in our house. We talk about an inheritance. We don't even know what our father owns. Favor is not something you strive for. You just connect to what is already there. You are already favored. Because Jesus came to announce and purchase that favor with his own blood. That this is the year of the favor of the Lord. Not that because you work harder than anyone. No, you are already favored. The day you wake up to that truth. I've had incidences in my life where I felt I was in an in the midst of people that were way too experienced and way too this and way too more qualified than me. I don't know if, you've ever, if that's ever happened to you, Pastor Justin, in an issue. Were you someone you say, Father, we, we just, we're so young with it. Never say that. Never think that. Because an anointing that rests on you is ancient. It's older than any man or woman present there. You've got to know that. When you realize who you are, people will then begin to treat you not based on your age, but based on the anointing that rests on you. When I was 26, 27 years old, I was pastoring a church with the average age of 35 to 50 something, and I was 26. And they never looked at me based on my age. They looked at me based on the anointing that I knew stood on me. I had to wake up to the call early. And so you had gray-haired men seeking counsel from a boy when you know who you are. Oh. I work with business people, and, I'm, and in fact, there's one young Malayali guy, I won't tell you who is, uh, was one of, my, one of the youngsters that was a protege of mine. That, and, and mostly when they call, they call me when they're in crisis. I'm talking about when everything, sometimes this is going on, and the only thing I try and do most of the time, the first thing I say, stop stressing. Why? Because when you're stressing, you are, you are letting me know you've forgotten who you are. So I say, don't stress. And then the next thing I try and point out is, and then you can literally see the faith change. And what's so weird and crazy is as soon as there's a switch in, 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 in faith, there's a switch in circumstance. The things that looked impossible one moment are instantly rectified. Did that happen by magic? No, it was already done. The enemy was trying to disorient you by making your problem look like it's bigger than it is. Because the bigger your problem looks, the smaller God looks to you. And that's why you begin to get agitated. Your heart beats a little faster. We got Christians with nervous dispositions. Anxiety. Oh, no, no, you got to remember who you are. You have to train that mind. I don't care how long it takes. You put your nose in that Bible and you train your mind to know who you are. You're already favored. For us as members of the immigrant population, it's easy to consider yourself some second green, you know, you work in a Texas instrument, and you go, oh, you know, yeah. whatever you give to me. No, stand up and be counted. If there's a solution that is needed, volunteer for that. I'll take care of that. Then go to God and say, Father, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? <laughs> Listen, I, 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 I was um, a, fr a friend of mine that I, I, I told you earlier on that works for Microsoft. I, I attended one of, um, one of 
the trainings that was happening. I wasn't teaching that one, but I was attending it. And, 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 and one of the young men, they said something that changed my life. He says that every time there's an opportunity to do something, my answer is always yes. And I'll figure out how to do it after that. So at that, that time when he was sharing that, I think he had been one of the, the top salespeople for that particular period and he was being recognized for an incredible job in a very competitive market. But when he spoke those words, it changed my life. Why? Because this is the kind of confidence. David, Goliath, yeah, I, I can take care of that. Yeah, oh, lion and bear, yeah, I got that. I can take care of that. You know, uh, uh, can you lead Judah? Oh, sure, I can do that. Hey, how about being king of Israel? Sure, I can do that. Can do spirit. Coming from where? A child who has done the homework of knowing who he is. And knowing the access of the vault of the treasure that belongs to his father. You cannot hit me with incapability. Too late. To tell me I'm not capable? Give me time. I know who my father is. I know who my father is. Why am I announcing this to you? Some of you already know this, but if you're feeling any type of a... It's because the Lord is reminding you. I have not come here to tell you what you don't know. In fact, if you're feeling anything right now, it's because you know you already know this. So are you playing defense? I've just been through COVID. Can I be honest with you? 2020 was one of the most blessed years for me. One of the best years in, in many years. And what's crazy is this. I was doing a lot of meetings, but I was just doing them as, as a gift. Just being a blessing to people. Before that, oh, you have to have meetings and you have to have a full calendar in order for you to make a, barely make any kind of a living. In the middle of all that, the Lord had showed me some things in the last four or five years that just awakened me to the reality of who I was in him that have changed my life. And I've been in the ministry for almost 26 years. Some of these things by suggesting they only truly clicked five years ago. And the moment that they did that, they changed my life. And they changed the way people respond to the same level of teaching. I've always loved, I've always given the best of whatever the Lord gave me to share with others. But I was treated differently when I changed. And the change was pretty simple. Remembering who I was. I'm not a second-rate citizen to anybody. But that doesn't make me arrogant. In fact, it humbles me. It just makes me accept what my father has given. And so if I'm, going to, if I'm going to be put in front of you, I know God is going to give me something to bless you. I know that in my heart. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. And some of the times I tell you what, what, what kind of moves me, Pastor Justin, is I know the heaviness of what God gave me, but I'm also aware that some people are not going to take it, and they're going to recycle the same cycles when I know for effect God gave them the solution. I challenge you to raise your faith to what I'm announcing before you right now. Healing, it was purchased 2,000 years ago. Deliverance, what is deliverance? You know what the enemy sometimes does? If you see in your life cycles, and what I mean by cycle is just as soon as you're coming into the clear, boom, something happens that kind of brings you down again. And it's all these disconnected things, but the sum total of what they result is the same. They disturb your peace just when you're supposed to... Those are cycles of the enemy, man. You have to break that by faith. You don't have to take that. Remember who you are. You see, David was so, my goodness, man. David showed a 
obsession with God's word. Why? Because it appeared that the more he was discovering God's word, the more he knew what was available to him that was not being taught in his local synagogue. So then he goes to Abi, was it Abiathar the priest? And he was hungry, him and his boys, the keeper of the, of, of, of the tabernacle. And he says, hey man, I'm, we're hungry. And he said, oh yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no, no food here, only the bread, which is the bread of showing, the show bread. And it's only supposed to be eaten by priests. David says, no, I can have that. What do you mean? I, I can eat the showbread. Well, how do you know? Well, it appears that as David was delving to know more about God, he found that there was not just one line of priests. There was another order that was not the order of Levi. There was another order of the priesthood that was called the order of Melchizedek. And that order of Melchizedek, it was not by bloodline, it was by faith. And so what does David say? I can eat the t- from the table of showbread, me and my boys. And when he ate, God did not strike him because this man knew who he was. So it appears that his obsession with finding the word, I cannot wait to the word, he found so much of this vault of the treasury of God, he accessed more of it than anybody in his generation. It doesn't mean that it was only for him because he was special. He found the priesthood of all believers in the old covenant. A priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. That's the priesthood of Christ. Christ is not is from the tribe of Judah. He's not from Levi. How can you, who's from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of kings, be uh, the, our great high priest? Because he's of an order that is greater than Levi. He's after the order of Melchizedek. Read the book of Hebrews. It lets you know exactly why. David discovered that mystery way back when. So because he knew who he was, he partook of what was freely available to all of Israel. And the only thing they were not walking, the only reason they were not walking in it is because they were too lazy to do the work to know what belongs to them. Come on, worship team here. You guys, if you can take your place. We don't come to church to hear preaching just so I can entertain you. Not an entertainer. Go to a circus for that. We come to announce to you the truth of what heaven has paid for you with the blood of our Savior. I pray to God that when you hear it, you just say, I'm taking this. It's for me and my house. This is our portion. We're taking this. I'm claiming this. I claim joy. Ah. Heaven's antidepressant. What does he promise? He says, what? I'll give you beautiful ashes, the oil of gladness for mourning, and the, what? The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There were many, many times where I was just battling with depression, battling with, and then you had to confront it and remind myself who I am in God. And I found out the greater the connection that I had with the Father and with the knowledge of who I was in him, the less the enemy could put that thing on me. It shook and it broke. And that's when I discovered the secret that in his presence is fullness of joy. I know where my joy is. It's in the presence of the Lord. So I'll go in there and I'll wait. One hour, nothing. Sometimes two hours, nothing. Three hours, nothing. Four hours, nothing. But I've also been convinced by Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But he that comes to God must believe that God is, and God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's been times I've remained on my knees for hours until God touched me. And when he touched me, the joy that I felt in every fiber of my being may be the reason why I've walked in health all these years. Do you know what belongs to you?
Have you done inventory to know what the Father purchased on your behalf? I pray to God that you take this seriously. You are already favored. You understand? The general favor that is upon the chosen of God is on you. The next level, we might talk about that tomorrow. If not, I know Pastor Justin covered, or I'll cover it the next time I'm in town. But the general one is powerful enough to carry you to your grave. There's more going for you than against you. The Bible says in Psalm that blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And what's happening in our nation right now is a lot of people just sit on the counsel of ungodly people. And they, they teach you how to be miserable. Be miserable because that person is in power. Now, no, now be miserable because this one is like this. Be miserable because that is, that is going on. The whole time you are looking and you are in, not understanding that you are within the counsel of the ungodly. Within the, you know, the, the path of sinners and the seat of the scornful. One side always scorning the other. The Lord says, blessed is the man that does not sit in that seat. I don't sit in that seat. You can go, you, you have got to be able to shake off all this wrangling that is taking place in the atmosphere around our nation right now and find the place of peace and joy that is always available. These are good times to be alive. We've got God on our side. The hope of the world is with us. Are we good? I hope you received this with your heart. I hope it was not a waste of your time. Let's all stand, please. Here's what I'm going to ask. And listen, the altar is going to be open. Yesterday, I made an altar call. You guys stared at me for 15 minutes. Then one by one, began to trickle up front. Here's what I'll say. If the Lord is speaking to you, don't be that person that does that. Don't, you know, don't feel you are free in your father's house. Come and connect with what the anointing is saying. Let the Lord deal with whatever is your situation. So if you know for a fact that Lord, I, I need a deeper revelation of who I am because I, I, I as he was speaking, I, I saw the areas in my life where I, I just need the touch of God and I need freedom to be able to be who I was. If you heard this and you know it was speaking to you, come up and join me. We're going to worship together and I want to pray over you. I do not want you to be robbed one more day. I've come here to work, so use me. <laughs>